CD7. Corporal Nobbs, said Sergeant Colon, who'd been even closer to the flame than Carrot. Yes, Sarge? You heard, Corporal Carrot. No heathen weapons. Anyway, how come you know so much about all this stuff? Military service. Really, Nobby, said Carrot. Had a special job, sir. Very responsible. And what was that? Quartermaster, sir, said Nobby, saluting smartly. You were a quartermaster, said Carrot. In whose army? Duke of Pseudopolis, sir. But Pseudopolis always lost its wars. Ah, well. Who did you sell weapons to? That's a slander, that is. They just used to spend a lot of time away for polishing and sharpening. Nobby, this is Carrot talking to you. How much time, approximately? Approximately? Oh, about 100% if we're talking approximately, sir. Nobby? Sir? You don't have to call me, sir. Yes, sir. In the end, Cuddy remained faithful to his axe, but added a couple more as an afterthought. Sergeant Colon chose a pike because the thing about a pike, the important thing, was that everything happened at the other end of it, i.e. a long way off. Lance Constable Angua selected, without much enthusiasm, a short sword, and Corporal Nobbs... Corporal Nobbs was a kind of mechanical porcupine of blades, bows, points, and knobbly things on the end of chains. "'You sure, Nobby?' said Carrot. There's nothing you want to leave. It's so hard to choose, sir. Detritus was hanging on to his huge bow. That all you're taking, Detritus? No, sir. Taking flint and moraine, sir. The two trolls who'd been working in the armoury had formed up behind Detritus. Swore him in, sir, said Detritus. Used troll oath. Flint saluted amateurishly. He said he'd kick our goo-halook heads in if we didn't join up and do what we're told, sir, he said. Very old troll oath, said Detritus. Very famous, very traditional. One of them could carry the Clatchian fire engine, Nobby began hopefully. No, Nobby. Well, welcome to the watch, men. Corporal Carrot? Yes, Cuddy? It's not fair. They're trolls. We need every man we can get, Cuddy. Carrot stood back. Now, we don't want people to think we're looking for trouble, he said. Oh, dressed like this, sir, we won't have to look for trouble, said Sergeant Colon despondently. Question, sir, said Angua. Yes, Lance Constable Angua? Who's the enemy? Looking like this, we won't have any problem feigning enemies, said Sergeant Colon. We're not looking for enemies, we're looking for information, said Carrot. The best weapon we can use right now is the truth. And to start with, we're going to the Fool's Guild to find out why Brother Beano stole the gun. Did he steal the gun? I think he may have, yes. But he died before the gun was stolen, said Colon. Yes, said Carrot. I know that. Now that, said Colon, is what I calls an alibi. The squad formed up, and after a brief discussion among the trolls as to which was their left foot and which was their right, marched away. Nobby kept looking back longingly to the fire machine. Sometimes it's better to light a flamethrower than curse the darkness. Ten minutes later, they'd pushed through the crowds and were outside the guilds. See? Carrot said. They back on to each other, said Nobby. So what? There's still a wall between them. I'm not so sure, said Carrot. We'll jolly well find out. Have we got time? said Angua. I thought we were going to see the day watch. 
There's something I must find out first, said Carrot. The fools haven't told me the truth. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute, said Sergeant Colon. This is going altogether just a bit too far by half. Look, I don't want us to kill anyone, right? I happen to be sergeant around here if anyone's interested. Understand, Carrot? Nobby? No shooting or swordplay. It's bad enough barging into guild property, but we'll get into really serious trouble if we shoot anyone. Lord Vetinari won't stop at sarcasm. He might use... Colon swallowed. Irony. So that's an order. What do you want to do, anyway? I just want people to tell me things, said Carrot. Well, if they don't, you're not to hurt them, said Colon. Look, you can ask questions fair enough, but if Dr. Whiteface starts getting difficult, we're to come away, right? Clowns give me the creeps, and he's the worst of all. If he won't answer, we're to leave peacefully, and, oh, I don't know, think of something else. That's an order, like I said. Are you clear about this? That's an order. If he won't answer my questions, said Carrot, I'm to leave peacefully. Right. So long as that's understood. Carrot knocked on the fool's door, reached up, caught the custard pie as it emerged from the slot, and rammed it back hard. Then he kicked the door so that it swung inwards a few inches. Someone behind it said, Ow. The door opened a bit further to reveal a small clown covered in whitewash and custard. You didn't have to do that, he said. I just wanted to get into the spirit of the thing, said Carrot. I'm Corporal Carrot, and this is the citizen's militia, and we all enjoy a good laugh. Excuse me. Except for Lance Constable Cuddy, and Lance Constable Detritus enjoys a good laugh too, although some minutes after everyone else. And we're here to see Dr. Whiteface. The clown's hair rose. Water squirted from his buttonhole. Have, um, have you got an appointment? He said. I don't know, said Carrot. Have we got an appointment? I've got an iron ball with spikes on, Nobby volunteered. That's a morning star, Nobby. Is it? Yes, said Carrot. An appointment is an engagement to see someone, while a morning star is a large lump of metal used for viciously crushing skulls. It is important not to confuse the two, isn't it, Mr... He raised his eyebrows. Boffo, sir, but... So if you could perhaps run along and tell Dr. Whiteface we're here with an iron ball with spot What am I saying? I mean, without an appointment to see him, please? Thank you. The clown scuttled off. There, said Carrot. Was that all right, Sergeant? He's probably going to be satirical even, said Colon morosely. They waited. After a while, Lance Constable Cuddy took a screwdriver from his pocket and inspected the custard pie-throwing machine bolted to the door. The rest of them shuffled their feet, except for Nobby, who kept dropping things on his. Boffo reappeared, flanked by two muscular jesters, who didn't look as though they had a sense of humour at all. Dr. Whiteface says there's no such thing as a city militia, he ventured, but, um... Dr. Whiteface says if it's really important he'll see some of you, but not the trolls or the dwarf. We heard there's gangs of trolls and dwarfs terrorising the city. That's what they say, said Detritus, nodding. Incidentally, do you know what it is they say about... Cuddy began, but Nobby nudged him into silence. You and me, Sergeant, said Carrot, and you, Lance Constable Angua? Oh, dear, said Sergeant Colon but they followed Carrot into the sombre buildings and along the gloomy corridors to Dr. Whiteface's office. The chief of all the clowns, fools and jesters was standing in the middle of the floor while a jester tried to sew extra sequins on his coat. Well, 
Evening, Doctor, said Carrot. I should like to make it clear that Lord Vetinari will be hearing about this directly, said Dr. Whiteface. Oh, yes, I shall tell him, said Carrot. I can't imagine why you're bothering me when there's rioting in the streets. Ah, well, we shall deal with that later, but Captain Vimes always told me, sir, that there's big crimes and little crimes. Sometimes the little crimes look big and the big crimes you can hardly see, but the crucial thing is to decide which is which. They stared at one another. Well, the clown demanded, I should like you to tell me, said Carrot, about events in this guildhouse the night before last. Dr. Whiteface stared at him in silence. Then he said, If I don't. Then, said Carrot, I'm afraid I shall with extreme reluctance be forced to carry out the order I was given just before entering. He glanced at Colon. That's right, isn't it, Sergeant? What? Eh? Uh, well, well, yes. I would much prefer not to do so, but I have no choice, said Carrot. Dr. Whiteface glared at the two of them. But this is Guild property. You have no right to... I don't know about that. I'm only a corporal, said Carrot, but I've never disobeyed a direct order yet, and I am sorry to have to tell you that I will carry out this one fully and to the letter. Now, see here. Carrot moved a little closer. If it's any comfort, I'll probably be ashamed about it, he said. The clown stared into his honest eyes and saw, as did everyone, only simple truth. Listen, if I shout, said Dr. Whiteface, going red under his makeup, I can have a dozen men in here. Believe me, said Carrot, that will only make it easier for me to obey. Dr. Whiteface prided himself on his ability to judge character. In Carrot's resolute expression, there was nothing but absolute meticulous honesty. He fiddled with a quill pen and then threw it down in a sudden movement. Confound it, he shouted. How did you find out, eh? Who told you? I really couldn't say, said Carrot, but it makes sense anyway. There's only one entrance to each guild, but the guild houses are back to back. Someone just had to cut through the wall. I assure you we didn't know about it, said the clown. Sergeant Colon was lost in admiration. He'd seen people bluff on a bad hand, but he'd never seen anyone bluff with no cards. We thought it was just a prank said the clown. We thought young Beano had just done it with humorous intent, and then he turned up dead, and we didn't. You'd better show me the hole, said Carrot. The rest of the watch stood to variations on the theme of at ease in the courtyard. Corporal Nobbs? Yes, Lance Constable Cuddy? What is it everyone says about dwarfs? Oh, come on, you're pulling my leg, right? "'Everyone knows that who knows anything about dwarfs,' said Nobby. Cuddy coughed. <clears throat> "'Dwarfs don't,' he said. "'What do you mean, dwarfs don't?' "'No one's told us what everyone knows about dwarfs,' said Cuddy. "'Well, I expect I thought you knew,' said Nobby, weakly. "'Not me.' "'Oh, all right,' said Nobby.' He glanced at the trolls, then leaned across to Cuddy and whispered in the approximate region of his ear. Cuddy nodded. Oh, is that all? Yes. Er, uh, is it true? What? Oh, yes, of course. It's natural for a dwarf. Some have got more than others, of course. That's the case all round, said Nobby. I myself, for example, have saved more than seventy-eight dollars. No, I mean, no, I, I, I mean, I don't mean well endowed with money. I mean, Nobby whispered again. 
Cuddy's expression didn't change. Nobby waggled his eyebrows. True, is it? How should I know? I don't know how much money humans generally have. Nobby subsided. There's one thing that's true at least, he said. You dwarfs really love gold, don't you? Of course we don't. Don't be silly. Well, we just say that to get it into bed. It was in a clown's bedroom. Colon had occasionally wondered what clowns did in private, and it was all here. The overlarge shoe tree, the very wide trouser press, the mirror with all the candles round it, some industrialised sticks of makeup, and a bed which looked like nothing more complicated than a blanket on the floor, because that's what it was. Clowns and fools weren't encouraged to live the soft life. Humour was a serious business. There was also a hole in the wall just big enough to admit a man. A little pile of crumbling bricks was heaped next to it. There was darkness on the other side. On the other side, people killed other people for money. Carrot stuck his head and shoulders through the hole, but Colon tried to pull him back. Hang on, lad, you don't know what horrors lie beyond these walls. I'm just having a look to find out. It could be a torture chamber or a dungeon or a hideous pit or anything. It's just a student's bedroom, Sergeant. You see? Carrot stepped through. They could hear him moving around in the gloom. It was assassin's gloom, somehow richer and less gloomy than clown's gloom. He poked his head through again. No one's been in here for a while, though, he said. There's dust all over the floor, but there's footprints in it, and the door's locked and bolted on this side. The rest of his body followed Carrot. I just want to make sure I fully understand this, he said to Dr Whiteface. Beano made a hole into the Assassin's Guild, yes? And then he went and exploded that dragon. And then he came back through this hole. So how did he get killed? By the Assassins, surely, said Dr Whiteface. They'd be within their rights. Trespass on Guild property is a very serious offence, after all. Did anyone see Beano after the explosion, said Carrot? Oh, yes. Boffo was on gate duty, and he distinctly remembers him going out. He knows it was him? Dr. Whiteface looked blank. Of course. How? How? He recognised him, of course. That's how you know who people are. You look at them and you say, that's him. That's called recognition, said the clown with pointed deliberation. It was Beano. Boffo said he looked very worried. Ah, fine. No more questions, Doctor. Did Beano have any friends among the assassins? Well, possibly, possibly. We don't discourage visitors. Carrot stared at the clown's face, then he smiled. Of course. Well, that about wraps it all up, I think. If only he'd stuck to something, you know, original, said Dr. Whiteface. Like a bucket of whitewash over the door, or a custard pie, said Sergeant Colon. That's right. Well, we might as well be going, said Carrot. I imagine you don't want to lay a complaint about the assassins. Dr. Whiteface tried to look panicky, but this didn't work very well under a mouth painted into a wide grin. What? N no, I, I mean, if an assassin broke into our guild, I mean, not on proper business, and stole something, well, we'd definitely consider we were within our rights to, well... Pour jelly into his shirt, said Angua. Hit him around the head with a bladder on a stick, said Colon. Possibly. Each guild to their own, of course, said Carrot. I suggest we might as well be going, Sergeant. Nothing more for us to do here. Sorry to have troubled you, Dr. Whiteface. I can see this must have been a great strain on you. The clown was limp with relief. 
Don't mention it. Don't mention it. Happy to help. I know you have your job to do. He ushered them down the stairs and into the courtyard, bubbling with small talk now. The rest of the watch clanked to attention. Actually, said Carrot, just as he was being ushered out of the gate, there is one thing you could do. Of course, of course. Um, I know it's a bit cheeky, said Carrot, but I've always been very interested in guild customs, so do you think someone could show me your museum? Sorry? Uh, what museum? The Clown Museum. Oh, you mean the Hall of Faces. That's not a museum. Of course, uh, <laughs> nothing secret about it. Boffo, make a note. We'd be happy to show you around any time, Corporal. Thank you very much, Dr. Whiteface. Any time. I'm just going off duty, said Carrot. Right now would be nice, since I happen to be here. You can't go off duty when... Ow! said Colon. Sorry, Sergeant. You kicked me. I accidentally trod on your sandal, Sergeant. I am sorry. Colon tried to see a message in Carrot's face. He'd got used to simple Carrot. Complicated Carrot was as unnerving as being savaged by a duck. Well, we'll, er, uh, we'll just be going then, shall we? he said. No point in staying here now it's all settled, said Carrot, mugging furiously. May as well take the night off, really. He glanced at the rooftops. Oh, well, now it's all... Settled, we'll be off, right? said Colon. Right, Nobby? Oh, yeah, we'll be off all right, because... Well, because it's all settled, said Nobby. You hear that, Cuddy? What? That it's all settled, said Cuddy. Oh, yeah, we might as well be off. OK, Detritus? Detritus was staring moodily at nothing, with his knuckles resting on the ground. This was a normal stance for a troll while waiting for the next thought to arrive. The syllables of his name kicked a neuron into fitful activity. What? he said. It's all settled. What is? You know, Mr. Hammerhawk's death and everything. Is it? Yes. Oh. Detritus considered this for a while, nodded, and settled back into whatever state of mind he normally occupied. Another neuron gave a fizzle. Right, he said. Cuddy watched him for a moment. That's about it, he said sadly. That's all we're getting. I'll be back shortly, said Carrot. Shall we be off? Joey, wasn't it, Dr. Whiteface? I suppose there's no harm, said Dr. Whiteface. Very well. Show Corporal Carrot anything he likes, Buffo. Right, sir, said the little clown. It must be a jolly job being a clown, said Carrot. Must it? Lots of japes and jokes, I mean. Buffo gave Carrot a lopsided look. Well, he said... It has its moments. I bet it does. I bet it does. Are you often on gate duty, Buffo? said Carrot pleasantly as they strolled through the Fool's Guild. Uh, just about all the time, said Buffo. So when did that friend of his, you know, the assassin, visit him? Oh, you know about him then, said Buffo. Oh yes, said Carrot. About ten days ago, said Buffo, it's through here past the pie range. He'd forgotten Beano's name, but he did know the room. He didn't know the number, but he went straight to it, Carrot went on. That's right. I expect Dr. Whiteface told you, said Buffo. I've spoken to Dr. Whiteface, said Carrot. Angua felt she was beginning to understand the way Carrot asked questions. He asked them by not asking them. He simply told people what he thought or suspected, 
and they found themselves filling in the details in an attempt to keep up. And he never actually told lies. Boffo pushed open a door and fussed around, lighting a candle. Here we are, then, he said. I'm in charge of this when I'm not on the bloody gate. Ye gods, said Angua under her breath. It's horrible. It's very interesting, said Carrot. It's historical, said Boffo the clown. All those little heads. They stretched away in the candlelight, shelf on shelf of them, tiny little clown faces, as if a tribe of headhunters had suddenly developed a sophisticated sense of humour and a desire to make the world a better place. Eggs, said Carrot. Ordinary hen's eggs. What you do is you get a hen's egg and you make a hole in either end and you blow the egg stuff out and then a clown paints his makeup on the egg and that's his official makeup and no other clown can use it. That's very important. Some faces have been in the same family for generations, you know. Very valuable thing, a clown's face. Isn't that so, Boffo? The clown was staring at him. How do you know all that? I read it in a book. Angua picked up an ancient egg. There was a label attached to it, and on the label were a dozen names, all crossed out except the last one. The ink on the earlier ones had faded almost to nothing. She put it down and unconsciously wiped her hand on her tunic. "'What happens if a clown wants to use another clown's face?' she said. "'Oh, we compare all the new eggs with the ones on the shelves,' said Boffo. "'It's not allowed.' They walked between aisles of faces. Angua fancied she could hear the squelch of a million custard-filled trousers and the echoes of a thousand honking noses and a million grins of faces that weren't smiling. About halfway along was a sort of alcove containing a desk and a chair, a shelf piled with old ledgers and a workbench covered with crusted pots of paint, scraps of coloured horsehair, sequins and other odds and ends of the egg painter's specialised art. Carrot picked up a wisp of coloured horsehair and twiddled it thoughtfully. But supposing, he said, that a clown... I mean, a clown with his own face. Supposing he used another clown's face. Pardon, said Boffo. Supposing you used another clown's makeup, said Angua. Oh, that happens all the time, said Boffo. People are always borrowing slap off each other. Slap, said Angua. Makeup, Carrot translated. No, I think what the Lance Constable is asking, Boffo, is could a clown make himself up to look like another clown? Boffo's brow wrinkled like someone trying hard to understand an impossible question. Pardon? Where's Beano's egg, Boffo? That's here on the desk, said Boffo. You can have a look if you like. An egg was handed up. It had a blobby red nose and a red wig. Angua saw Carrot hold it up to the light and produce a couple of red strands from his pocket. But, she said, trying one more time to get Boffo to understand, couldn't you wake up one morning and put on makeup so that you looked like a different clown? He looked at her. It was hard to tell his expression under the permanently downcast mouth, but as far as she could tell, she might as well have suggested that he performed a specific sex act with a small chicken. How could I do that? he said. Then I wouldn't be me. Someone else might do it, though. Boffo's buttonhole squirted. I don't have to listen to this sort of dirty talk, miss. What you're saying, then, said Carrot, is that no clown would ever make up his face in another clown's, um, design. You're doing it again. Yes, but perhaps sometimes by accident, a young clown might perhaps look... We're all decent people, all right. 
"'Sorry,' said Carrot. "'I think I understand. "'Now, when we found poor Mr Beano, "'he didn't have his clown wig on, "'but something like that could easily have got knocked off in the river. "'But his nose... "'Now, you told Sergeant Colum that someone had taken his nose, "'his real nose. "'Could you,' said Carrot, in the pleasant tones of someone talking to a simpleton, "'point to your real nose, Boffo?' Boffo tapped the big red nose on his face. But that's, Angua began, your real nose, said Carrot. Thank you. The clown wound down a little. I think you'd better go, he said. I don't like this sort of thing. It upsets me. Sorry, said Carrot again. It's just that I think I'm having an idea. I wondered about it before, and I'm pretty certain now. I think I know about the person who did it but I had to see the eggs to be sure. "'Are you saying another clown killed him?' said Boffo belligerently. "'Cause if you are, I'm going straight to—' "'Not exactly,' said Carrot. "'But I can show you the killer's face.' He reached down and took something from the debris on the table. Then he turned to Boffo and opened his hand. He had his back to Angua, and she could not quite see what he was holding— but Boffo gave a strangled cry and ran away down the avenue of faces, his big shoes flip-flopping hugely on the stone flags. "'Thank you,' said Carrot, at his retreating back. "'You've been very helpful.' He folded his hands again. "'Come on,' he said. "'We'd better be going. "'I don't think we're going to be popular here in a minute or two. "'What was that you showed him?' Angua asked as they proceeded with dignity yet speed towards the gate. "'It was something you came here to find, wasn't it? "'All that stuff about wanting to see the museum.' "'I did want to see it. "'A good copper should always be open to new experiences,' said Carrot. "'They made it to the gate. "'No vengeful pies floated out of the darkness. "'Angua leaned against the wall outside. "'The air smelled sweeter here, "'which was an unusual thing to say about Ankh Morpork air, "'but at least out here people could laugh without getting paid for it. "'You didn't show me what frightened him,' she said. "'I showed him a murderer,' said Carrot. "'I'm sorry,' I didn't think he'd take it like that. I suppose they're all a bit wound up right now, and it's like dwarfs and tools. Everyone thinks in their own ways. You found the murderer's face in there? Yes. Carrot opened his hand. It contained a bare egg. He looks like this, he said. He didn't have a face. No, you're thinking like a clown. I am very simple, said Carrot, but I think what happened was this. "'Someone in the Assassins wanted a way of getting in and out without being seen. "'He'd realised there's only a thin wall between the two guilds. "'He had a room. "'All he had to do was find out who lived on the other side. "'Later, he killed Beano, and he took his wig and his nose. "'His real nose. "'That's how clowns think. "'Make-up wouldn't have been hard. "'You can get that anywhere. "'He'd walked into the guild, made up to look like Beano.' He cut through the wall, then he strolled down to the quad outside the museum, only this time he was dressed as an assassin. He got the gone and came back here. He went through the wall again, dressed up as Beano, and strolled away. And then someone killed him. Boffo said Beano looked worried, said Angua, and I thought that's odd, because you'd have to see a clown right up close to know what his real expression was. "'but you might notice if the make-up wasn't on quite right, "'like maybe if it was put on by someone who wasn't used to it. "'But the important thing is "'that if another clown sees Beano's face go out of the door, 
He's seen the person leave. They can't think about someone else wearing that face. It's not how they think. A clown and his makeup are the same thing. Without his makeup, a clown doesn't exist. A clown wouldn't wear another clown's face in the same way a dwarf wouldn't use another dwarf's tools. Sounds risky, though, said Angua. It was. It was very risky. Carrot, what are you going to do now? I think it might be a good idea to find out whose room was on the other side of the hole, don't you? I think it might belong to Beano's little friend. In the Assassin's Guild? Just us? Oh, you've got a point. Carrot looked so crestfallen that Angua gave in. What time is it? she said. Carrot very carefully took Captain Vime's presentation watch out of its cloth case. It's a bing, a bing, a bong, 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 bing, bing, bing. They waited patiently until it had finished. A quarter to seven, said Carrot. Absolutely accurate, too. I put it right by the big sundial in the university. Angua glanced at the sky. OK, she said. I can find out, I think. Leave it to me. How? Uh, I could... I could get out of uniform, couldn't I, and um, talk my way in as a kitchen's maid's sister or something. Carrot looked doubtful. You think that'll work? Can you think of anything better? Mm, not right now. Well then, I'll... Uh, look, you go back to the rest of the men and I'll find somewhere to change into something more suitable. She didn't have to look around to recognise where the snigger came from. Gaspode had a way of turning up silently like a small puff of methane in a crowded room, and with the latter's distressing ability to fill up all available space. "'Where can you get a change of clothes round here?' said Carrot. "'A good watchman is always ready to improvise,' said Angua. "'That little dog is awfully wheezy,' said Carrot. "'Why does he always follow us around?' "'I really couldn't say. "'He's got a present for you.' Angua risked a glance. Gaspode was holding, but only just, a very large bone in his mouth. It was wider than he was long, and might have belonged to something that died in a tar pit. It was green and furry in places. "'How nice,' she said coldly. "'Look, you go on, let me see what I can do.' "'If you're sure,' said Carrot, in a reluctant tone of voice. "'Yes.' When he'd gone, Angua headed for the nearest alley. There were only a few minutes to moonrise." Sergeant Colon saluted when Carrot came back, frowning in thought. "'We can go home now, sir,' he suggested. "'What? Why?' "'Now it's all sorted out.' "'I just said that to waylay suspicion,' said Carrot. "'Ah, very clever,' said the sergeant quickly. "'That's what I thought. "'He's saying that to waylay suspicion, I thought. "'There's still a murderer out there somewhere, or something worse.' Carrot ran his gaze over the ill-assorted soldiery. "'But right now I think we're going to have to sort out this business with the day watch,' he said. Uh, "'People say it's practically a riot up there,' said Colon. "'That's why we've got to sort it out.' Colon bit his lip. He was not as such a coward. Last year the city had been invaded by a dragon, and he'd actually stood on a rooftop and fired arrows at it while it was bearing down on him with its mouth open, although admittedly he'd had to change his underwear afterwards. But that had been simple.' A great big fire-breathing dragon was straightforward. There it was, right in front of you, about to broil you alive. That was all you had to worry about. Admittedly, it was a lot to worry about, but it was simple. It wasn't any kind of mystery. We're gonna have to sort it out, he said. Yes. Oh, good. I like sorting things out. Foul old Ron was a beggar's guild member in good standing. He was a mutterer and a good one. 
He would walk behind people muttering in his own private language until they gave him money not to. People thought he was mad, but this was not technically the case. It was just that he was in touch with reality on the cosmic level and had a bit of trouble focusing on things smaller, like other people, walls and soap. Although on very small things, such as coins, his eyesight was grade A. Therefore, he was not surprised when a handsome young woman streaked past him and removed all her clothes. This sort of thing happened all the time, although up until now only on the inner side of his head. Then he saw what happened next. He watched as the sleek golden shape streaked away. I told him, I told him, I told him, he said, I'll give him the wrong end of a ragman's trumpet, so I shall, bugger him, bugger him, millennium hand and shrimp, I told him. Gaspode wagged what was technically a tail when Angua re-emerged. Change into something more suitable, he said, his voice slightly muffled by the bone. Good one. I brung you this little token. He dropped it on the cobbles. It didn't look any better to Angua's lupine eyes. What for? she said. Stuffed with nourishing marabon jelly, that bone, he said accusingly. Forget it, said Angua. Now, how'd you normally get into the Assassin's Guild? And maybe afterwards we could kind of hang out in the middens along Fairdry Road, said Gaspode, his stump of a tail still thumping the ground. There's rats along there that'll make your hair stand on it. No? All right, forget I mentioned it. He finished quickly, when fire flashed for a moment in Angua's eyes. He sighed. There's a drain by the kitchens, he said. Big enough for a human? Not even for a dwarf, but it won't be worth it. It's spaghetti tonight. You don't get many bones in spaghetti. Come on, he limped along. That were a good bone, he said. Hardly even started going green. Eh? I bet you wouldn't say no to a box of chocolates from Mr. Hunk, though. He cringed as she rounded on him. What are you talking about? Nothing, nothing. He trailed after her, whining. Angua wasn't happy either. It was always a problem growing her hair and fangs every full moon. Just when she thought she'd been lucky before, she'd found that few men are happy in a relationship where their partner grows hair and howls. She'd sworn no more entanglements like that. As for Gaspode, he was resigning himself to a life without love, or at least any more than the practical affection experienced so far, which had consisted of an unsuspecting chihuahua and a brief liaison with a postman's leg. The number one powder slid down the folded paper into the metal tube. Blast Vimes, who'd have thought he'd actually head for the opera house? He'd lost a set of tubes up there. But there were still three left, packed neatly in the hollow stock. A bag of number one powder and a rudimentary knowledge of lead casting was all a man needed to rule the city. The gun lay on the table. There was a bluish sheen to the metal, or perhaps not so much a sheen as a glisten. And of course... That was only the oil. You had to believe it was only the oil. It was clearly a thing of metal. It couldn't possibly be alive. And yet... And yet... They say it was only a beggar girl in the guild. Well, what of it? She was a target of opportunity. That was not my fault. That was your fault. I am merely the gon. Gons don't kill people. People kill people. You killed Hammerhock. The boy said you fired yourself and he'd repaired you. You expect gratitude? He would have made another gun. Was that a reason to kill him? Certainly. You have no understanding. Was the voice in his head or in the gun? He couldn't be certain. Edward had said there was a voice. It said that everything you wanted, it could give you. 
Getting into the guild was easy for Angua, even through the angry crowds. Some of the assassins, the ones from noble homes that had big floppy dogs around the place in the same way that lesser folks have rugs, had brought a few with them. Besides, Angua was pure pedigree. She drew admiring glances as she trotted through the buildings. Finding the right corridor was easy, too. She'd remembered the view from the guild next door and counted the number of floors. In any case, she didn't have to look hard. The reek of fireworks hung in the air all along the corridor. There was a crowd of assassins in the corridor, too. The door of the room had been forced open. As Angua peered around the corner, she saw Dr. Cruces emerge, his face suffused with rage. Mr. Downey? A white-haired assassin drew himself to attention. Sir? I want him found. Yes, Doctor. In fact, I want him inhumed, with extreme impoliteness, and I'm setting the fee at ten thousand dollars. I shall pay it personally, you understand, without guild tax either. Several assassins nonchalantly strolled away from the crowd. Ten thousand untaxed dollars was good money. Downey looked uncomfortable. Doctor, I think... Think? You're not paid to think. Heaven knows where the idiot has got to. I ordered the guild searched. Why didn't anyone force the door? Sorry, Doctor. Edward left us weeks ago, and I didn't think... You didn't think? What are you paid for? Never seen him in such a temper, said Gaspode. There was a cough behind the chief assassin. Dr. Whiteface had emerged from the room. Ah, Doctor! said Dr. Cruces. I think perhaps we'd better go and discuss this further in my study, yes? I really am most terribly sorry, my lord. Don't mention it. The little devil has made us both look like fools. Uh, uh, nothing personal, of course. Mr. Downey, the fools and the assassins will be guarding this hole until we can get some masons in tomorrow. No one is to go through, you understand? Yes, Doctor. Very well. That's Mr. Downey, said Gaspode, as Dr. Cruces and the chief clown disappeared down the corridor. Number two in the assassins, he scratched his ear. He'd knock off old Cruces for tuppence if he weren't against the rules. Angua trotted forward. Downey, who was wiping his forehead with a black handkerchief, looked down. Hello, you're new, he said. He glanced at Gaspode. On the mutt's back, I see. Woof, woof, said Gaspode, his stump of a tail thumping the floor. Incidentally, he added, for Angua's benefit, he's often good for a peppermint if you catch him in the right mood. He's poisoned fifteen people this year. He's almost as good with poisons as old Cruces. Do I need to know that? said Angua. Downey patted her on the head. Oh, assassins shouldn't kill unless they're being paid. It's these little tips that makes all the difference. Now Angua was in a position to see the door. There was a name written on a piece of card stuck in a metal bracket. Edward de Eth. Edward de Eth, she said. There's a name that tolls a bell, said Gaspode. Family used to live up Kingsway. Used to be as rich as Creosote. Who was Creosote? Some foreign bugger who was rich. Oh, but great-grandad had a terrible thirst and granddad chased anything in a dress. His dress, you understand. And old de Eth... Well, he was sober and clean, but lost the rest of the family money on account of having a blind spot when it came to telling the difference between a one and an eleven. I can't see how that loses you money. It does if you think you can play a cripple Mr. Onion with the big boys. The werewolf and the dog padded back down the corridor. Do you know anything about Master Edward? said Angua. 
No. The house was flogged off recently. Family debts. Haven't seen him around. You're certainly a mine of information, she said. I gets around. No one notices dogs. Gaspode wrinkled his nose. It looked like a withered truffle. Blimey, stinks of gone, doesn't it? Yes, something odd about that, said Angua. What? Something not right. There were other smells. Unwashed socks, other dogs, Dr. Whiteface's grease paint, yesterday's dinner. The scents filled the air, but the firework smell of what Angua was now automatically thinking of as the gone wound around everything else, acrid as acid. What's not right? Don't know. Maybe it's the gone smell. Nah, that started off here. The gone was kept here for years. Right. OK, well, we've got a name. It might mean something to Carrot. Angua trotted down the stairs. Excuse me, said Gaspode. Yes? How can you turn back into a woman again? I just get out of the moonlight and uh, concentrate. That's how it works. Cure, that's all. If it's technically full moon, I can change even during the day if I want to. I only have to change when I'm in the moonlight. Get away. What about wolfbane? Wolfbane? It's a plant. A type of aconite, I think. What about it? Don't it kill you? Look, you don't have to believe everything you hear about werewolves. We're human, just like everyone else. Most of the time, she added. By now they were outside the guild and heading for the alley, which indeed they reached, but it lacked certain important features that it had included when they were last there. Most notable of these was Angua's uniform, but there was also a world shortage of foul old Ron. Damn! They looked at the empty patch of mud. Got any other clothes? said Gaspode. Yes, but only back in Elm Street. This is my only uniform. You have to put some clothes on when you're a human? Yes. Why, I would have thought a nude woman would be at home in any company, no offence meant. I prefer clothes. Gaspode sniffed at the dirt. Come on, then, he sighed. We'd better catch up foul old run before your chainmail becomes a bottle of bear huggers. Yes? Angua looked around. The scent of foul old run was practically tangible. All right, but let's be quick about it. Wolfbane. You didn't need daft old herbs to make your life a problem if you spent one week every month with two extra legs and four extra nipples. There were crowds around the Patrician's Palace and outside the Assassin's Guild. A lot of beggars were in evidence. They looked ugly, looking ugly as a beggar's stock in trade in any case. These looked uglier than necessary. The militia peered around a corner. There's hundreds of people, said Colon, and loads of trolls outside the Daywatch. Where's the crowd thickest? said Carrot. Anywhere the trolls are, said Colon. He remembered himself. Only joking, he added. Very well, said Carrot. Everyone follow me. The babble stopped as the militia marched, lumbered, trotted and knuckled towards the Daywatch house. A couple of very large trolls blocked the way. The crowd watched in expectant silence. Any minute now, Colon thought, someone's going to throw something and then we're all going to die. He glanced up. Slowly and jerkily, gargoyle heads were appearing along the gutters. No one wanted to miss a good fight. Carrot nodded at the two trolls. They'd got lichen all over them, Colon noticed. It's Blue John and Borksite, isn't it? said Carrot. Blue John, despite himself, nodded. Borksite was tougher and merely glared. You're just the sort I was looking for, Carrot went on. Colon gripped his helmet like a size ten limpet trying to crawl up a size one shell. Borksite was an avalanche with feet. 
You're conscripted, said Carrot. Colon peeked out from under the brim. Report to Corporal Nobbs for your weapons. Lance Constable Detritus will administer the oath. He stood back. Welcome to Citizen's Watch. Remember, every Lance Constable has a Field Marshal's baton in his knapsack. The trolls hadn't moved. Ain't gonna be in a watch, said Borksite. Officer material, if ever I saw it, said Carrot. Hey, you can't put them in the watch, shouted a dwarf from the crowd. Why, hello, Mr Strong in the arm, said Carrot. Good to see community leaders here. Why can't they be in the militia? All the trolls listened intently. Strong in the arm realised that he was suddenly the centre of attention and hesitated. Well, you've only got one dwarf for one thing, he began. I'm a dwarf, said Carrot, technically. Strong in the arm looked a little nervous. The whole issue of Carrot's keenly embraced dwarfishness was a difficult one for the more politically minded dwarfs. You're a bit big, he said lamely. Big? What size got to do with being a dwarf? Carrot demanded. Um, a lot, whispered Cuddy. Good point, said Carrot. That's a good point, he scanned the faces. Right, we need some honest, law-abiding dwarfs. You there? Me, said an unwary dwarf. Have you got any previous convictions? Well, uh, I don't know. I suppose I used to believe very firmly that a penny saved is a penny earned. Good. And I'll take you two and you, four more dwarfs. Yes, can't complain about that, eh? Ain't gonna be in a watch, said Borksite again, but uncertainty modulated his tone. You trolls can't leave now, said Detritus. Otherwise, too many dwarfs. That's numbers, that is. I'm not joining any watch, said a dwarf. Not man enough, eh? said Cuddy. What? I'm as good as a bloody troll any day. Right, that's sorted out then, said Carrot, rubbing his hands together. Acting Constable Cuddy? Sir? Hey, said Detritus, how come he's suddenly full constable? Since he was in charge of the dwarf recruits, said Carrot, and you're in charge of the troll recruits, acting Constable Detritus. A full acting constable in charge of the troll recruits? Of course. Now, if you would step out of the way, Lance Constable Borksite. Behind Carrot, Detritus drew a big, proud breath. Inch gonna... Lance Constable Borksite, you horrible big troll, you stand up straight, you saluting right now, you stepping out the way of Corporal Carrot, you two troll, you come here, one, two, three, four, you in the watch now, I cannot believe it, what my eye is seeing, where are you from, Borksite? Slice Mountain, but Slice Mountain, Slice Mountain, only... Detritus looked at his fingers for a moment and rammed them behind his back, only... Two, er, uh, things come from Slice Mountain, rocks, and, and, he struck out wildly, other sorts are rocks. What kind you, Boxite? What the hell's going on here? The watchhouse door had opened. Captain Quirk emerged, sword in hand. You two horrible troll, you raise your hand right now, you repeat the troll oath. Ah, oh, Captain, said Carrot, can we have a word? You're in real trouble, Corporal Carrot, snarled Quirk. Who do you think you are? I will do what I told. Don't wanna be in a wham. I will do what I told. 
"'Just the man on the spot, Captain,' said Carrot cheerfully. "'Well, man on the spot, aim the superior officer here, "'and you can damn well—' "'Interesting point,' said Carrot. "'He produced his black book. "'I'm relieving you of your command. "'Otherwise I get my Goohulug head kicked in.' "'Otherwise I get my Goohulug head kicked in.' "'What? Are you mad?' "'No, sir, but I'm choosing to believe that you are. "'There are regulations laid down for this eventuality.' "'Where is your authority?' Quirk stared at the crowd. "'Ha! I suppose you'll say this armed mob is your authority, eh?' "'Carrot looked shocked. "'No. The laws and ordinances of Ark Morpork, sir. "'It's all down here. "'Can you tell me what evidence you have against the prisoner, Coalface?' "'That damn troll! It's a troll!' "'Yes?' Quirk looked around. "'Look, I don't have to tell you with everyone here.' "'As a matter of fact, according to the rules, you do. "'That's why it's called evidence. "'It means that which is seen.' "'Listen!' hissed Quirk, leaning towards Carrot. "'He's a troll! He's as guilty as hell of something! "'They all are!' Carrot smiled brightly. "'Colon had come to know that smile.' Carrot's face seemed to go waxy and glisten when he smiled like that. And so you locked him up. Right! Oh, I see, I understand now. Carrot turned away. I don't know what you think you're doing, Quirk began. People hardly saw Carrot move. There was just a blur, a sound like a stake being thumped on a slab, and the captain was flat on the cobbles. A couple of members of the day watch appeared cautiously in the doorway. Everyone became aware of a rattling noise. Nobby was spinning the Morning Star round and round on the end of its chain, except that because the spiky ball was a very heavy spiky ball, and because the difference between Nobby and a dwarf was species rather than height, it was more a case of both of them orbiting round each other. If he let go, it was an even chance that the target would be hit by a spiky ball or an unexploded Corporal Nobs. Neither prospect pleased. "'Put it down, Nobby,' hissed Colon. I don't think they're going to make trouble. I can't let go, Fred. Carrot sucked his knuckles. Do you think that comes under the heading of minimum necessary force, Sergeant? He asked. He appeared to be genuinely worried. Fred, Fred, what will I do? Nobby was a terrified blur. When you're swinging a spiky ball on a chain, the only realistic option is to keep moving. Standing still is an interesting but brief demonstration of a spiral in action. "'Is he still breathing?' said Colon. "'Oh, yes, I pulled the punch.' "'Sounds minimum enough to me, sir,' said Colon, loyally. "'Fred!' Carrot reached out absent-mindedly as the Morning Star rocketed past and caught it by the chain. Then he threw it against the wall where it stuck. "'You men in there in the watch-house,' he said. "'Come out now.' Five men emerged, edging cautiously around the prone captain. "'Good. Now go and get Coalface.' "'Um... He's in a bit of a bad temper, Corporal Carrot. On account of being chained to the floor, volunteered another guard. Well now, said Carrot, the thing is he's going to be unchained right now. The men shuffled their feet nervously, possibly remembering an old proverb that fitted the occasion very well. It runs, he who chains down a troll, especially taking advantage of the situation to put the boot in a few times, had better not be the one who unchains it again. Carrot nodded. "'I won't ask you to do it, but I might suggest you take some time off,' he said. "'Quirm is very nice at this time of year,' said Sergeant Colon helpfully. "'They've got a floral clock.' 
Uh, since you mention it, I've got some sick leave coming up, one of them said. I should think that's very probable if you hang around, said Carrot. They sidled off as fast as decency allowed. The crowd hardly paid them any attention. There was still a lot more mileage in watching Carrot. Right, said Carrot. Detritus, you take some men and go and bring out the prisoner. I don't see why, a dwarf began. You shut up, you horrible man, said Detritus, drunk with power. You could have heard a guillotine drop. In the crowd, a number of different-sized, knobbly hands gripped a variety of concealed weapons. Everyone looked at Carrot. That was the strange thing, Colon remembered later. Everyone looked at Carrot. Gaspode sniffed a lamppost. I see three-legged Shepherd's been ill again, he said, and old Willie the Pup is back in town. To a dog, a well-placed hitching post or lamp is a social calendar. Where are we? said Angua. Foul old Ron's trail was hard to follow. There were so many other smells. Somewhere in the sheds, said Gaspode. Sweetheart Lane smells like... He snuffled across the ground. Ah, here he is again, the little... Hello, Gaspode. It was a deep, hoarse voice, a kind of whisper with sand in it. It came from somewhere in an alley. How's your friend, Gaspode? There was a snigger. Ah, said Gaspode. Uh, <laughs> Hi, guys. Two dogs emerged from the alley. They were huge. Their species was indeterminate. One of them was jet black and looked like a pit bull terrier crossed with a mincing machine. The other, the other looked like a dog whose name was almost certainly Butch. Both top and bottom set of fangs had grown so large that he appeared to be looking at the world through bars. He was also bow-legged, although it would probably be a bad, if not terminal, move for anyone to comment on this. Gaspode's tail vibrated nervously. These are my friends, uh, Black Roger and... Butch, suggested Angua. How did you know that? A lucky guess, said Angua. The two big dogs had moved around so that they were on either side of them. Well, 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 said Black Roger. Who's this then? Angua, said Gaspode. She's a... A wolfhound, said Angua. The two dogs paced around them hungrily. Big Fido know about her, said Black Roger. I was just... Well now, said Black Roger. I reckon you'd be wanting to come with us. Guild night tonight. Sure, sure, said Gaspode. No problem there. I could certainly manage either of them, Angua thought, but not both at once. Being a werewolf meant having the dexterity and jaw power to instantly rip out a man's jugular. It was a trick of her father's that had always annoyed her mother, especially when he did it just before meals. But Angua had never been able to bring herself to do it. She'd preferred the vegetarian option. Hello, said Butch in her ear. Don't you worry about anything, moaned Gaspode. Me and Big Fido, we're like, like that. What are you trying to do? Cross your claws? I didn't know dogs could do that. We can't, said Gaspode miserably. Other dogs slunk out of the shadows as the two of them were half-led, half-driven along byways that weren't even alleys anymore, just gaps between walls. They opened out eventually into a bare area, nothing more than a large light well for the buildings around it. There was a very large barrel on its side in one corner, with a ragged bit of blanket in it. A variety of dogs were waiting around in front of it, looking expectant. Some of them had only one eye, some of them had only one ear. All of them had scars, and all of them had teeth. "'You,' said Black Roger, "'where to ear?' 
Don't try to run away, said Butch, cause having your intestines chewed out often offends. Angua lowered her head to gasboat level. The little dog was shaking. What have you got me into, she growled. This is the dog guild, right? A pack of strays? Shh, don't say that. These aren't strays. Oh, blimey. Gaspode glanced round. You don't just get any hound in the guild. Oh, dear me, no. These are dogs that have been... He lowered his voice. Uh, bad dogs. Bad dogs? Bad dogs. You naughty boy. Give him a smack, you bad dog, muttered Gaspode, like some horrible litany. Every dog you see here, right? Every dog. Run away. Run away from his or her actual owner. Is that all? 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 Well, of course, you ain't exactly a dog. You wouldn't understand. You wouldn't know what it was like, but Big Fido, he told him, throw off your choke chains, he said, bite the hand that feeds you, rise up and howl. He gave him pride, said Gaspode, his voice a mixture of fear and fascination. He told him, any dog he finds not being a free spirit, that dog is a dead dog. He killed a doberman last week just for wagging his tail when a human went past. Angua looked at some of the other dogs. They were all unkempt. They were also, in a strange way, undog-like. There was a small and rather dainty white poodle that still just about had the overgrown remains of its poodle cut, and a lap dog with the tattered remains of a tartan jacket still hanging from its shoulder. But they weren't milling around or squabbling. They had a uniform intent look that she'd seen before, although never on dogs. Gaspode was clearly trembling now. Angua slunk over to the poodle. It still had a diamante collar visible under the crusty fur. This big Fido, she said, is he some kind of wolf or what? Spiritually, all dogs are wolves, said the poodle, but cynically and cruelly severed from their true destiny by the manipulations of so-called humanity. It sounded like a quote. Big Fido said that, Angua hazarded. The poodle turned its head. For the first time, she saw its eyes. They were red and mad as hell. Anything with eyes like that could kill anything it wanted, because madness, true madness, can drive a fist through a plank. Yes, said Big Fido. He had been a normal dog. He'd begged and rolled over and healed and fetched. Every night he'd been taken for a walk. There was no flash of light when it happened. He'd just been lying in his basket one night, and he'd thought about his name, which was Fido, and the name on the basket, which was Fido, and he thought about his blanket with Fido on it, and his bowl with Fido on it, and above all he brooded on the collar with Fido on it, and something somewhere deep in his brain had gone click, and he'd eaten his blanket, savaged his owner, and dived out through the kitchen window. In the street outside, a Labrador four times the size of Fido had sniggered at the collar, and thirty seconds later had fled whimpering. That had just been the start. The dog hierarchy was a simple matter. Fido had simply asked around, generally in a muffled voice because he had someone's leg in his jaws, until he located the leader of the largest gang of feral dogs in the city. People, that is, dogs, still talked about the fight between Fido and Barking Mad Arthur, a Rottweiler with one eye and a very bad temper. But most animals don't fight to the death, only to the defeat, and Fido was impossible to defeat. He was simply a very small, fast, killing streak with a collar. He'd hung on to bits of Barking Mad Arthur until Barking Mad Arthur had given in, and then to his amazement, Fido had killed him. There was something inexplicably determined about the dog. 
You could have sandblasted him for five minutes, and what was left still wouldn't have given up, and you'd better not turn your back on it, because Big Fido had a dream. Is there a problem? said Carrot. That troll insulted that dwarf, said Strong in the arm, the dwarf. I heard Acting Constable Detritus give an order to Lance Constable Hrolf Pyjama, said Carrot. What about it? He's a troll. Well? He insulted a dwarf. Actually, it's a technical military term, said Sergeant Colon. That damn troll just happened to save my life today, shouted Cuddy. What for? What for? What for? Cause it was my life, that's what for. I happen to be very attached to it. I didn't mean, you just shut up, Abba Strong in the arm. What do you know about anything, you civilian? Why are you so stupid? Ah, I'm too short for this shit. A shadow loomed in the doorway. Coalface was a basically horizontal shape, a dark mass of fracture lines and sheer surfaces. His eyes gleamed red and suspicious. Now you're letting it go, moaned a dwarf. This is because we have no reason to keep him locked up, said Carrot. Whoever killed Mr. Hammerhock was small enough to get through a dwarf's doorway. A troll his size couldn't manage that. But everyone knows he's a bad troll, shouted Strong in the arm. I never done nothing, said Coalface. You can't turn him loose now, sir, hissed Colon. They'll set on him. I never done nothing. Good point, Sergeant. Acting Constable Detritus? Sir, volunteer him. I never done nothing. You can't do that, shouted the dwarf. Ain't gonna be in no watch, growled Coalface. Carrot leaned towards him. There's a hundred dwarfs over there with great big axes, he whispered. Coalface blinked. Uh, I'll join. Swear him in, Acting Constable. Permission to enrol another dwarf, sir, to maintain parity. Go ahead, Acting Constable Cuddy. Carrot removed his helmet and wiped his forehead. I think that's about it, then, he said. The crowd stared at him. He smiled brightly. No one has to stay here unless they want to, he said. I never done nothing. Yes, but look, said Strong in the arm, if he didn't kill old Hammerhock, who did? I never done nothing. Our inquiries are proceeding. You don't know, but I'm finding out. Oh yes, and when, pray, will you know? Tomorrow. The dwarf hesitated. All right then, he said with extreme reluctance. Tomorrow. But it had better be tomorrow. All right, said Carrot. The crowd dispersed, or at least spread out a bit. Trolls, dwarfs and humans alike, an Ankh-Morpork citizen is never keen on moving on if there's some street theatre left. Acting Constable Detritus, his chest so swollen with pride and pomposity that his knuckles barely touched the ground, reviewed his troops. You listen up, you horrible trolls! He paused while the next thoughts shuffled into position. You listen up, good right now, you in the watch, boy. It's a job with opportunity said Detritus. I only been doing it ten minutes and already I get promoted. Also got education and training for a good job in Civilian Street. This your club with a nail in it. You will eat it. You will sleep on it. When Detritus say jump, you say, what colour? We gonna do this by the numbers. And I got lots of numbers. 
I never done nothing. You coalfish, you smarten up. You got the field marshal's button in your knapsack. Never took nothing, neither. You get down now and give me thirty-two. No, make it sixty-four. Sergeant Colon pinched the bridge of his nose. We're alive, he thought. A troll insulted a dwarf in front of a lot of other dwarfs. Coalface, I mean, coalface. I mean, detritus is Mr. Clean by comparison. Is free, and now he's a guard. Carrot laid out mayonnaise. Carrot said we'll sort it all out by tomorrow, and it's dark already. But we're alive. Corporal Carrot is a crazy man. Hark at them dogs. Everyone's on edge in this heat. Angua listened to the other dogs howling and thought about wolves. She'd run with the pack a few times and knew about wolves. These dogs weren't wolves. Wolves were peaceful creatures on the whole and fairly simple. Come to think of it, the leader of the pack had been rather like Carrot. Carrot fitted into the city in the same way he'd fitted into the high forests. Dogs were brighter than wolves. Wolves didn't need intelligence. They had other things. But dogs, they'd been given intelligence by humans, whether they wanted it or not. They were certainly more vicious than wolves. They'd got that from humans, too. Big Fido was forging his band of strays into what the ignorant thought a wolf pack was, a kind of furry killing machine. She looked around. Big dogs, little dogs, fat dogs, skinny dogs, they were all watching bright-eyed as the poodle talked. About destiny. About discipline. About the natural superiority of the canine race. About wolves. Only Big Fido's vision of wolves weren't wolves as Angua knew them. They were bigger, fiercer, wiser, the wolves of Big Fido's dream. They were kings of the forest, terrors of the night. They had names like Quickfang and Silverback. They were what every dog should aspire to. Big Fido had approved of Angua. She looked very much like a wolf, he said. They all listened, totally entranced, to a small dog who farted nervously while he talked and told them that the natural shape for a dog was a whole lot bigger. Angua would have laughed were it not for the fact that she doubted very much if she'd get out of there alive. And then she watched what happened to a small rat-like mongrel which was dragged into the centre of the circle by a couple of terriers and accused of fetching a stick. Not even wolves did that to other wolves. There was no code of wolf behaviour. There didn't need to be. Wolves didn't need rules about being wolves. When the execution was over, she found Gaspode sitting in a corner and trying to be unobtrusive. Will they chase us if we sneak off now, she said. Don't think so. Meetings are over, see? Come on, then. They sauntered into an alley, and when they were sure they hadn't been noticed, ran like hell. Good grief, said Angua, when they'd put several streets between them and the crowd of dogs. He's mad, isn't he? No, mad's when you froth at the mouth, said Gaspode. He's insane. That's when you froth at the brain. All that stuff about wolves. I suppose a dog's got a right to dream, said Gaspode. But wolves aren't like that. They don't even have names. Everyone's got a name. Wolves haven't. Why should they? They know who they are, and they know who the rest of the pack are. It's all an image, smell, and feel, and shape. Wolves don't even have a word for wolves. It's not like that. Names are human things. Dogs have got names. I've got a name. Gaspode, my name, said Gaspode, a shade sullenly. Well, I can't explain why, said Angua, but wolves don't have names. End of CD 7